Hey, Greg. Hey. I'd like to make a movie. Here's my pitch. So a black hole is a region of space-time exhibiting gravitational acceleration so strong that nothing, not even light, particles, or electromagnetic radiation such as light can escape from it. So the theory of general relativity predicts that a sufficiently compact mass can so in many ways, space -time. a black hole acts like an ideal black body as it reflects no light. Moreover, quantum field theory Objects and curved gravitational fields are so strong for light to escape were first considered in the 18th century by John Mitchell and discovery by neutron stars by Joss Black holes of stellar mass are general relativity that when characterized black hole was found by Massive black hole, reality. about 4.3 million solar masses in size. Can, can we make the movie now? Oh, sure. Great. I have some notes. Welcome to I Have Some Notes. This is the movie podcast where we take great movies, sometimes stellar movies, uh, and make them uh, super interstellar stellar movies. Uh, part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV Financial. Uh, my name is Colin McIntyre. I'm Greg Beaver. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. The movie we're doing today, friends, is Interstellar, the uh, 2014 science fiction film. Uh, written, directed, produced, colored, printed, stapled... Uh, hole punched, uh, all of those things by your friend and mine. Uh, I almost said Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Nolan. <laughs> I would like to see the Christopher Lloyd version. Of <laughs> yeah, so would I. Um, uh, this was now this movie just just to set set the, the frame for everybody on the podcast uh, on on their on our social feeds on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram uh, at I have some notes. Uh, we occasionally put out requests and say, "Hey guys, which movies do you want to see us do?" Uh, this was a request and it intrigued us all, and so here we are. Some of us are. <laughs> some of us were more intrigued by it than others. I would say that Scott was maybe not as intrigued by doing doing this movie. Well, it's number one. It's a very long movie, and number two, it's <laughs> like a pretty good movie. There may have been a text thread where yes. Scott complained about the length of it, <laughs> but uh, that's okay. We here here we are, uh, and I think I think this will make for this. This is gonna be a good episode. So everyone, stay tuned. Uh, so this obviously written, directed, uh, produced, actually co-written. Uh, by uh, Christopher and John Nolan. Uh, Christopher Nolan also uh, directed and produced this. Uh, obviously, Christopher Nolan did the Dark the Dark Knight trilogy, uh, Dunkirk, uh, Memento. Um, which other ones am I missing? Um, there's wow. That that movie, the Blau <laughs> movie, uh, Inception. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Uh, so he's, he's uh, obviously a pretty pretty stellar filmmaker. Uh, movie stars uh, Matthew McConaughey, Anne Hathaway, Jessica Chastain, uh, among others. Also a longtime um, uh, collaborator, Michael Caine, uh, and also with the music by Hans Zimmer, uh, longtime collaborators. Uh, the movie uh, had a budget of $165 million. It made $677 million at the box office. Uh, before we jump in, let's listen to the trailer. And we'll get a plot summary. This world's a treasure. It's been telling us to leave for a while now. Your daughter's generation will be the last to survive on Earth. You're the best pilot we ever had. Get out there and save the world. Everybody ready to say goodbye to our solar system? To our galaxy. Here we go. 
people on Earth are dead by the time we pull it off. Well, we got this far, farther than any human in history. Oh, not far enough. Make it count. Where's the mountains? Those aren't mountains. They're waves. I'm not gonna make it. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You might have to decide between seeing your children again and the future of the human race. We'll find a way that we always have. In the not-too-distant future, the Earth will be ravaged by natural disasters, drought, and famine. Hmm? Oh, plot summary. Oh, yeah, no, sorry. I thought we were just stating some facts there. Uh, yes, former pilot Joseph Cooper also lives in a destitute future in which the world is running out of food. Cooper's daughter Murph discovers a gravitational phenomenon localized entirely in her bedroom, and when the two investigate, they find a secret NASA base whose sole purpose is to save what's left of humanity. How? Years ago, a wormhole appeared next to Saturn, and NASA said, I want to go to there, and sent a group of scientists to explore the newly accessible galaxy, hoping to find a new home for humanity. With the help of two obelisks, uh, sorry, robots, Cooper must pilot a mission to determine if the scientists were successful, and if they were, save humanity. Will Murph forgive her father for leaving her stranded on a dying Earth? Not bloody likely. But I want to gauge you guys' uh, feelings on Chris Nolan as a as a director. Like, are you would you count yourselves Chris Nolan fans? Um, in general, I'm going to say yes. Most of the stuff he's put out has been pretty good. Yeah, I feel I feel like if you if you told me that uh, hey, Colin, there's a there's a new Christopher Nolan movie coming out, I would be intrigued. That will that would be enough to be for me to go like, oh, okay, what's it about? Like, I would. Uh, that being said, there was a, there was something I kind of came to kind of came to conclusion watching this movie that I kind of come to, uh, watching some of the, like the, you know, obviously the Batman movies and stuff like that, where they're really, they're really great, wonderful movies, but there's, they have these little quirks and they kind of spoil it for me a little bit. So is that kind of where you're going? Is that, is that how you kind of feel? I guess like, I can't think of a Chris Nolan movie that I've watched that I haven't liked, but I can think of something that's bothered me. About every single one of them. Yeah. There's always a point, like, I often find that, like, his his movies are, like, the, the their premises are always very, very interesting. Um, they're well-made movies. They're, they're wonderfully constructed. But there's, typically, I always find that, like, the heart is sort of what's missing often in, in Chris Nolan movies. Which is funny, because Interstellar is really... Its central theme is love, right? Yeah. Um, but it still seems to miss out on that a little bit. Do you yeah. find that like there's a do you find a cent, cent, uh, central flaw in Jonathan Nolan or Christopher Nolan movies? I guess Jonathan Nolan too, because he writes most of his yeah, stuff. You're, <laughs> we're lumping you in this with this too, Jonathan Nolan. I don't know. I feel I feel like and again like the the most I've watched obviously like the Batman films the most, right? Um, and it's one of those things where it's like the first, like the first, I feel, I feel like the first time I see these movies, these Christopher Nolan movies, I'm like, wow, these are great. They're awesome. This blows my mind and the score and everything. Like they're just, they're one, they're wonderful movie experiences. But then as you rewatch them, it's sort of like, and maybe it's been, maybe it's cause 
we've been criti- we've been uh, critiquing movies for a long time now, and then things start to like hop out, pop out at me a little bit more. But I always kind of feel like there's there's an element of of kind of there's there's always moments or kind of pieces of the, in the movies where that they don't fit, and they just seem like a little like crammed or rushed or sort of just like really not or just downright kind of like kind of silly and cartoony. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the the third act of this movie in a nutshell. Yeah, where um, there's there's supposed to be a big uh, a big realization, and uh, and it and it's kind of flat. Uh, Jessica Chastain's realization that uh, her father is the is the ghost that was living in her room the whole time. Oh yeah, yeah. That felt that felt really flat to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the ultimate twist that it's not aliens who are responsible for kind of setting up Murph and Cooper to save humanity, but it's actually like future humans meddling in their own history in order to, I suppose, preserve their future, is interesting on paper, but I don't know that it was executed very well, and I don't think that that concept was delved into enough yeah it felt like a very star trekky concept it felt really 2001 a space odyssey sure like yeah. this whole movie is to me it's uh christopher nolan's take on stanley kubrick 100 percent. Right? not to say it's like a one-to-one comparison but it's like the the heady sci-fi the, the concept the construction of it it kind of hits some of the same plot beats and i, I want to say kind of as homage um it it really felt Kubrick to me. Yeah. So them going into into a weird conceptual space toward the end kind of fits that, I guess, would be the best way to put it. But I don't... Again, I agree with you. I don't know that it was executed to perfection. No. And... And I'll say something controversial. I don't know that 2001 <laughs> Space Odyssey was executed to perfection. Come at me! No, there, Come that's, on! And that's uh, a fair criticism to make, I would say. Yeah. Uh, I think I think Chris Nolan's heart was in the right spot. I think he really wanted to. I think he he really wanted to make a a, a sci fi epic like they don't make anymore. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and I think that's probably what I appreciate about Interstellar the most is that it's it's a it's a big expensive movie with big ambitions and big themes. And, uh, and big and, ideas, yeah, and big ideas, and that's great. And and how often do we get, you know, an original screenplay that that uh, you know we get all that good stuff with? Once in a blue moon lately, yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much only Christopher Nolan movies, <laughs> yeah. kinda, yeah, yeah. He's he's one of the few directors I can think of, m- modern directors that I can think of, who I would classify as an auteur filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and there there are a few others, but. I wouldn't say that there's many of them. And uh, one of the things that makes a director stand out as an auteur is doing ambitious, big films like that and and going out on a limb and trying something and new. And he's undeniably had a massive cultural impact oh, on the movie space. Definitely. Like, The Dark Knight changed filmmaking for a decade. Yeah. And that's no mean feat. Like, the... And we've discussed this before, I think, even on this podcast. Like, the the last time there was a big cultural shift in film prior to that would have been probably The Matrix. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. It takes it takes a, a big sci-fi movie usually weirdly enough, Yeah, it is. to really change the film space. And he's like, you know, Chris Nolan's his own brand too. Kind of. Like yeah. you're like you're like when's the next Chris Nolan movie coming out? Just like you uh, almost in the same vein of like when's the next Marvel movie coming out or whatever, right? Yeah. And he's not yeah, like he's not a, a director who sticks with a single genre. Like his next movie is a spy thriller. Yeah. Uh one of his more recent movies was like uh, a war movie based on actual events. Interstellar is in that mix. Batman is in that mix. Yeah. Uh, Inception, Memento, like the, the Prestige. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's uh, all of these movies that cross genres and are all, but are all distinctly Christopher Nolan movies. Yeah. Weirdly, like the 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 Batman era of his filmmaking was arguably the most boring <laughs> of the era of his kind filmmaking of, because yeah. he was kind of just doing, doing. Uh, it was the only time he was doing uh, similar movies yeah. to and, one another. And for that matter, using someone else's source material. Right, like, yeah. Very uh, explicitly using someone else's source material. I don't want to say that he hasn't necessarily yeah, I don't know drawn any, inspiration from other stuff. Yeah, and I'm not sure if any of his other movies were based on like books or anything like that. I'm not sure. Hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. If only we had an internet that we could check that on. <laughs> or or the or the, the willingness and effort to do yes. so. Which we do not. Yeah. On on with her review. Yeah. Well I think it's I think it's fair to say like I think it's fair to say that of all the movies movies we will will we'll we'll talk about on this podcast, um, this is very much you know, this is this is I would not say this is this is uh, a good bad movie that we like. This is a good movie. Like it's I think this is oh, most yeah. but uh, uh and like, yeah, like like, you know, like you know, the 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 won an award for for special effects. Actually, had a bunch of practical effects in there too. All the ships were practical effects. Thank you very much, Christopher Nolan. Yeah, and they look great. Which uh, which we talk about. We like. Uh, I actually even read too that even the um, so even for like the digital stuff, they didn't put the actors in like uh, like just in the straight up green uh, green screens. They actually they did the did a, like a version of the effects first and then projected it so they could actually kind of get a sense of where they were mm-hmm. uh, on for like I think there must have been like some of like the um, for some of the spaces they were in but um, yeah the score the wonderful wonderfully haunting crazy score which yeah. like yeah Ugh, it's in my brain can't get it out it's great but it haunts me <laughs> like, I think I, what I what I love about the the special effects is that um, the they they chose um, science over grandeur when it came to the special effects. Yeah, like uh, the wormhole, for example, is just a sort of a big mirrored ball, and uh, and you might think that that's not particularly visually interesting. Like we need some warp effects, and like you think where's, of one, wormholes, you think you think of like DS nine and stuff. the lightning storm in space? Yeah, as they said in the J.J. Abrams Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, where where are the wormhole aliens and the and the, and the, the Bajoran orbs and stuff and <laughs> all that all the crazy all the crazy cool things that are associated with wormholes? But it's or just like it's just literally a ball. At one point, there's uh, a huge explosion that takes place in space, and it's completely silent. Yeah, yeah. because the sound doesn't travel. Yeah, and it's little stuff like that that I I feel helps immerse you and ground you in the the science that they're trying to yeah yeah to yeah. show. And they made a big deal about how scientifically accurate most of the movie was there's literally a book about it yeah um obviously there's a little bit of timey-wimey wankery going on that is a little less scientific but yeah yeah they used it they basically used their the 
uh, scientific calculations of the black hole in order to create the look of the black hole. Yep. And now that we have a picture of uh, of an actual black hole, it kind of looks. Which insane. is a pretty impressive feat, might I add? Yeah. Just yeah. as an aside, yeah. so uh, a genius turned the Earth into a telescope to look at a black hole, and that's mind blowing. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, give NASA more money. <laughs> Give them all. Give them all the monies, and don't make them hide in the kind of mysterious little bases where Matthew McConaughey has to has to find them. And don't uh, don't tell the world that they're a hoax. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So On that we, note, people who are actually doing that right now in the world, stop. Yes, that's one thing about this about the interstellar uh, future. Is I, th- I thought was really interesting was like in this future, like they've. Uh, the the myth of the the moon land being moon landing being myth, so the myth of the myth is what turns into what they're putting in textbooks. Yeah, right. And the reason for that is that they're that they uh, someone some powers that be felt like uh, humanity needed to focus on Earth and not look to the stars. Yeah. Uh, so they just they just decided they were going to teach kids that uh, the moon landing never happened at all. Uh, for the record, something that I did not like about the movie. I thought that was dumb, but yeah. 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 I kinda, like thinking about it, I kind of like, I kind of wonder like, what was the point of that particular, like, cause it could, cause yeah, cause it mentioned that. So I think like this movie is, it says the running time is 169 minutes. This is a long movie. This is, yeah. this is a two parter for some of us who go to bed at 10 o'clock. Because we but, have kids. Uh, yes, and we can't a, stay up late. This is officially a dad cast <laughs> at this point. But, um, yeah, so even, like, going back to kind of think, like, it, so in some in some cases I feel like this movie isn't long enough um, because I feel like there's some stuff that kind of, like, crammed in. But, I mean, like, I one one thing I do like about it is I, I, like, I like in movies where when they do world building where they don't, they don't try to rush and explain everything. There's no title crawl. There's no... As I've meant, I've complained about this on the podcast numerous times. The TV news explaining something—they just, they just, just like, they just present it. It's like, yeah, uh, everyone's growing corn, wheat's gone. You don't really know what year it is. They kind of leave it's, that. It's certainly the year twenty XX. Yeah, yeah, it's twenty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the the, like the, the Yankees the, are like a traveling like sideshow baseball team. <laughs> yeah, well, they've thing. they've certainly implied that the population has shrunk considerably. Yeah, and so that's why like there's there's no real, yeah, there's no armies. Yeah, because there's no need for it because yeah. there's so few people, and what people there are are just kind of like huddled in enclaves trying to get by. Is kind of the the picture that they paint without necessarily hitting you over the head with it. Yeah, yeah. which which I like that. I like I like it when movies do that. On the other hand, there are at the beginning of the movie these little documentary hits that do kind of explain some stuff. Yeah, which I'm going to get into into my later in the podcast in my changes. But oh, okay, I will say that there is that as a counterpoint to what you were just saying. Yeah, so it's a weird blend of like um, implied world building and explicit world building. Yeah, I thought that was interesting how they did that. Um, um, partly because uh, you learn what you're watching later on in the movie. And I think that I thought that was really interesting. Uh, yeah. We're we're going to discuss it. <laughs> uh, one thing we haven't talked about yet uh, is I the, won't say that I disliked it. I'll uh, say that. Is is the cast? How do we feel? Do we like the cast? Do we feel I'm personally fine with the cast. I mean, I feel like I yeah, I noticed that a lot of our listeners were 
pretty happy go lucky to get rid of Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, but which I, thought I don't he was quite fine. understand. I thought he, I thought he did a good job. Yeah, I can't honestly think of anybody who dropped the ball in this film. McConaughey is, um, he's got the right kind of gravitas for the kind of character he was playing. And granted, McConaughey has kind of a laid back delivery, but it worked yeah. for him here. And his sort of quiet intensity through the movie and uh, the the journey like his emotions take as the movie progresses, it was easy to follow. Like I believed his, I believed the journey his character took in this yeah. movie. And that is uh, a, as glowing a review I can give of his performance. Yeah. And so I, I don't think he was bad. I think he was very, very good actually. In this I movie. think, and to your point to, to his sort of laid back understated, performance like when when it gets to the end of the movie in the the tesseract uh sort of library when he finally does sort of lose it emotionally i feel like it has a bigger punch because you're not used to seeing See, him yeah. oh yeah that right. frustrated yeah. That. yeah like like they're like the like the like the parts in the movie were like he's like like when he's watching like the video messages and stuff like that and you just he's slowly just kind of like breaking down yeah like that's really good like i and i've and like I've, you can you can map his heartbreak like yeah. six times during the movie yeah yeah yeah, and I think, I, and I kind of feel like here's here's I'm gonna just throw the, throw, throw this out there uh, as in I have some notes potential as a rule. Uh, if you can do a really good ugly cry, you're a good actor. <laughs> like to be fair, half the cast in this film ugly cry at some point. Yeah, and that's and it's solid all the way through. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, Jessica Chastain, Anne Hathaway, Michael Caine, yep. even Topher Grace, who shows up in like the third act. Yeah. Yeah, bit part. Like they're all fine. Everybody's fine in this movie. Matt Damon got a good crying scene too. Yeah, yeah. When he gets uh, released NASA, from the, from his uh, hibernation chamber and is so happy to see he, other humans. There's a joke, and I can't help but wonder if that was kind of stunt casting because of The Martian. Uh, but there is a joke that NASA has spent billions of dollars rescuing Matt Damon from space. Yeah. So, <laughs> right? Holy. Did The Martian come out before this? Now I don't uh, no, don't recall the after. It was. So I, I can't help but think it might have been a little bit stunt casting to have Matt Damon be stranded on another planet. Sorry, I meant The, I meant the Martian came out after Interstellar. Right? Yeah. yeah, year after Interstellar. Oh, well, there you go. So my yeah. bad. Yeah. Uh, in that case, maybe The Martian was stunt casting <laughs> because he had been trapped on a planet in Interstellar. There yeah. You go. Or he's just like, now he's the go-to guy for man trapped on planet. Because he does it so well. Yeah. He does. I'm okay with that. There you go. So, uh, yeah. Um, other things that you guys liked about this movie? Well, we talked about the special effects. We talked about performances. Um, talked about uh, big ideas, big ambition. I mean, the robots. The robots were cool. I mean, yeah. despite the fact that they were just like, they were rectangles. I mean, they... Um, I think they did a pretty good job of of, of giving them uh, anthropomorphizing them and and also um, making you feel something for them as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of liked the efficiency of design. I think it really fit the aesthetic and the world that they were building. Yeah, and then I was surprised at considering how clunky and utilitarian they look at first, how versatile they 
turn out to be. Yeah. And how surprisingly human they turn out to be. Yeah. And like, even by the end of the movie, uh, Cooper is super attached to Tarsus to the point where he fixes Tarsus. <laughs> yeah. So that he has his friend back. Yeah. Um, and they have an, they have a good relationship that builds over the course of the movie, which is again, considering the movie is also leaning very hard on, um, you kind of recognizing that it's a little bit 2001 a space odyssey just a little so you're suspicious of the robots at first yeah and i mean he even lays plants the seed of that early on when they get captured at the base and he's like you've got a a robot you know those things are old and their brains aren't what they used to be you need to be careful with those things yeah so you're suspicious of the robots and then it turns out no the robots are actually solid crewmates well does does it's one of the humans who turns out to be the the crazy one who puts the whole mission in jeopardy. I, I gotta be honest, I never felt suspicious of the robots ever. I I did at first, but by the third yeah. act, I was like team robot. Because again, during that first encounter, he meant, doesn't he say say something about like like that they he kind of implies that they are, they used to be used in the military. Yeah, know, like you're not in the Marines anymore, pal. Yeah, yeah. Like that sort of thing. So. I think the whole scene with um, them giving the bro- robots a humor setting and stuff like that really for me that really softened them and made them feel pretty human and uh, I, after that i do I, like i never I, i've watched this movie quite a few times and i don't think i've ever felt like i was meant to feel suspicious of the robots Fair yeah. Enough. Yeah. i had that initial suspicion again because of my uh my familiarity with sci-fi and your innate fear of robots me. well <laughs> i robot overlords are pretty much inevitable but uh yeah, no, I, I I had that glimmer of suspicion at first, but again, the subversion is that it's one of it's the humans who are fallible in this scenario, not the robots. The yeah. robots are pretty steadfast right through. So hmm. there we go. I liked that. Cool. I liked it. I liked <laughs> that it played against my genre expectations. That's good though. That means that it was surprising in fun ways, but not unbelievable ways. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I would like Atari's robot. Oh, hundred percent. Or will a robot just? I, I would. I I'll would be, like to. I would like a robot that can carry me away, bodyguard style, <laughs> <laughs> and ride off into the sunset. Through, yeah, through through like knee deep water with. The, yeah. What did they say the gravity was? One hundred and thirty percent of Earth or whatever. Yeah. It was? And to be fair, the water was only knee deep because most of it was up in the air at that moment. Yes, that's true. Wait, what? On the, the title planet. Uh-huh. With the cool. giant waves? Uh-huh. Like, those swells is where most of that water was. They were probably on an ocean. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. And in <laughs> retrospect, it totally makes sense. There were giant tidal waves on a planet that's orbiting a black hole. Yeah. <laughs> with giant gravitational forces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I Can I say that, like, the, the worlds that they imagined were really, really cool? Yeah. yeah. Like, there was... A, and and, and I, I love the... I love act, like the, that they were actually playing with relativity, which is not really a concept that you usually see thrown into science fiction, the, unfortunately. The point where they discuss time as one of their resources that yeah. they're playing with. Yeah. Like, that was the point where I was like, I'm a thousand percent into yeah. this mission yeah. right now. Yeah. Because they're legitimately like, okay, so we save fuel, but we lose time if we go onto this planet where time moves differently because gravity works differently. Yeah. Uh, which is backed up by relativity and really cool and plays out really cool yeah um even man damon's planet like this the frozen the frozen cloud planet which was uh intensely cool as well yeah it made just it just a just a feast visually but it also made alien worlds feel alien yeah 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 
Yeah, yeah. It, was like, it was completely otherworldly. with you. You just can't imagine them that happening on Earth. It's just like you can't really <laughs> Despite imagine. Despite the fact that they were filmed in Iceland and Alberta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, like there's, there's, there's a lot to like about this movie, but there's a lot we can change about it too. Mm-hmm. At least there's some stuff. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's always a little room for some tweaks yeah. in hindsight. Art is never finished. It's only abandoned. There we go. We're going to jump into that uh, right after this quick commercial break. We ask these children if they know when to go to emergency and when there are other options. If you got in a car accident or like having trouble breathing, I would go to emergency if I had a really bad hockey skate cut on the neck. They're there to treat people that are really sick or really hurt. If you have an emergency or if you're not sure, we're here to help. Know your options. Call HealthLink at 811 or visit ahs.ca slash options. Perch the Podcast, hosted by Rob Roach of ATB's Economics and Research Team, connects with experts, influencers, and big thinkers who are shaving off Robins. Each series connects the topic of the most recent episode of Perch, a research publication produced by ATB. Learn more by visiting atb.com slash perch. Okay, welcome back. Hope you've enjoyed your trip to the... Uh, what, was the, what was the black hole's name? Gargantua? Yes, Gargantua. Cool. Gargantua. Uh, okay, we've talked about what we like about this movie, and we're going to do our best to talk about what we would change about this movie. Granted, it's a pretty good movie. So we're, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think... Usually we, we come out with these movies with, like, sharp knives and pitchforks. And, <laughs> and now it's kind of like... They're kind of, they're kind of dull. Yeah, dull knives. Hitting them with pillows on this <laughs> one. Yeah. Uh, who wants to go first? Uh, I, I can go first because I have sure. a solid criticism. Okay. Um, and that is something we touched on in the first half, which was the documentary stuff from the beginning of the movie. Sure. It's something that does pay off late in the movie when it turns out it's part of the like heritage the site. museum, yeah. A museum that they've turned Cooper's old farm into. Um, my issue with it is that it happens at the beginning of the movie and then it stops. Yeah. And we never see it again. I thought it was an interesting device and an interesting framing device. And I would have liked to have actually seen it more during the course of the movie. I think it would have been a great way to, A, show the passage of time, because time does pass in this movie. And B, to uh, keep us up to date on the deteriorating state of the Earth. Which, I mean, the movie does a pretty good job of anyway, I'll grant. But it would have been interesting to, ha- to come back to these interviews with these old people reminiscing about how bad things were. Yeah. And I think that that would have been an interesting thing to keep doing through the film. And then you could still have the payoff that later on, oh, it turns out that's part of the information that you get when you go and visit Cooper's ancestral home. But it's the fact that it only happens at the beginning and then it stops. That actually was kind of jarring for me. Because there came a point partway through the movie where I was like, what was that about? Because we haven't seen it again since. Yeah. Yeah. And then I don't know that the payoff really paid it off (laughs) because because it had disappeared for so long. Yeah. The fact that it came back, it was like, oh, well, now I think it was kind of dumb, actually. And but I did like it at first and I thought it was something the movie was going to keep doing. And the fact that it didn't. It stuck in my craw. So my my first change would be continue to use that as a framing device and continue to break up the passage of time with that. Yeah. And then you can still have it turn out to be part of the, the exhibit later on in the movie. That's fun, sure. But keep keep doing it. 
Don't make it disappear because then it's it's a weird jarring omission from the middle part of the movie. Would you say keep it or would you or Arthur would you just remove it? I would I would say either keep it and keep doing it and that would be that would be my instinct because I again I think it is a good in, interesting way to transition between periods of time. Uh, as time continues to pass on Earth, mm-hmm. more so than in space where time is getting real weird, uh, or cut it all together. Yeah. Um, one or the other. My Again, I would lean on do it more, but if if you can't do it more, get rid of it. Don't yeah. even do it. Don't even have it to start with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, didn't, I didn't have uh, the problem that you seem to have with it. Like, for me, it worked fine. I don't... Uh, I, I enjoyed the the return to the beginning of the movie towards the end of it and um i didn't it didn't bother me that we didn't see more of the interviews throughout the film and my only concern with adding more of the interview interviews throughout the film is that i, I think it actually it might be kind of jarring seeing go, returning to some of those uh interviews after we've seen these fantastical things like gargantua and all these these wild planets and then and the then we go back to uh, a podunk <laughs> interview of, uh, of someone just like talking about how dry the grass was on Earth. And but stuff. no, you could you could tailor the interviews. You could have it be with one of the NASA people at that point talking about well, we thought the expedition was lost at this point, and things were getting uh, bad back at NASA. And mm-hmm. then you transition into what's going on with uh, with Michael Caine and Jessica Chastain at that point. Uh, you can you can use it as a framing device to, to queue up the next scene as well. And I think that that's something that they could have continued to do effectively. I can understand why they didn't. And I can, again, I can make the argument for just cutting it all together, but I think they either should have gone whole hog with it or not done it at all because the, the initial uses of it did become jarring when they never went back to it. Yeah. I worry about it. Like if you're if you start giving people like if you start interviewing NASA people, that might cut the tension out of what's happening on on the other side of the the wormhole. Just because then there becomes then it becomes more obvious that uh, of, of what it is the of because it's not obvious what you're watching. Like I like the reveal that like because you don't know why you're watching these interviews at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, or what they're from, or uh, what they're part of, and the reveal is like they're part—they're essentially part of the museum. And I thought that was really interesting. I thought actually when I first saw them, I was like, "Oh, is this movie framed as a documentary about something that happened?" Mm-hmm. Which I thought was really cool and could have been an interesting bookend for it in yep. itself. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Again, it was the fact that they stopped happening, kind of rankled me and, and took me out of the movie yeah and I, i'm kind of on board with that like i feel like oh, there was a point like where it was like halfway through the movie going like whatever happened yeah what happened yeah, whatever them? happened to those old be- people we be- were interviewing because because they in the first like what 20 minutes they they do that a couple of times it's yeah, not just and it would have been it, even it would have been different if they'd just done it once early yeah. on and then never came back to it but yeah. it's the fact that they sorry it's the fact that they went back to it a few times and then stopped yeah that was what made it seem weirdly out of place yeah. Nope. That's fair. Yeah. I'll, I mean, I'm getting outvoted on it, so. I mean, you guys. <laughs> well, but, but I guess I guess I'm 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 like I had all the interviews I'm, you want. I'm I'm Cheers. for I'm for either yeah either like you need to find a way to sort of like to to con- continue doing that or yeah or get rid of it all together. Yeah. Because um, yeah. I feel like now again and again how do you, how do you do that? Like I think one of one of my one of my changes I've got like 
I've got a super big change and I've got like the kind of like little nitpicky things. My super big change is uh, this needs to be a mini series because I feel like there is a world here that I'm really, really interested in. And I think you can expand this. Yeah, because I, could, there's, I could see this over eight episodes. Yeah, like yeah. so, like so, even so, even the part like you could even so, and I've uh, so you could so you can have you know the season one cliffhanger is um, Professor Brandt is on the deathbed and reveals there was never was a plan A. That's that cliffhanger. The season two cliffhanger is Matt Damon's here, but he's going crazy and he tries to kill Coop, and that's that cliffhanger. But I mean, I feel like you could even expand that to be like what happens from the time that um, Murph figures out you could actually just spend a whole you could spend like a whole season just on earth from the time that murph gets figures out the the, the, the equation for, for the, the big gravity thing which we haven't really talked about but basically the gets the quantum data from ghost coop figures out the equation and somehow that gets the humans off the earth because i'm well, sure it's because she's trying to solve the uh, equation for anti-gravity basically yeah that's the only way they're going to get these massive space stations off the earth yeah and but in order to do that they 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 need to see the inside of a black hole yeah that's physically impossible to do yeah unless you're inside a black hole yeah but i mean but i mean i feel like you could you could spend you could spend some time even like i'm sure even that process of like hey eureka i've got the equation okay you know all of the logistical problems that would you know come from shooting space stations out into space and that sort of stuff so like yeah like i feel like i feel like i, I would i would want to see more of this and i feel like there's enough meat on here to kind of just spread it out uh and make it like really really and i think also um you also have some time in my my my, my kind of my smaller change is that the thing that bugs me about this movie the most is that this movie is essentially it's greg mentioned talk about it's about love but it's between like there's it's about a relationship between a father and a daughter. And you keep coming back to that over and over and over and over and over again. And at the end of the movie, when they find uh, space coop, just flying out in space and they bring him back and you're like, okay, we're going to bring Murphy to visit you. The payoff is they speak for a minute. And, yeah. then, and then she's just like, well, see ya. Yeah. Like, and then, and then it pivots to, well, you need to go out and find yeah, the younger Dr. Brandt. Because that, that's the important relationship. But, you're right. The, the important relationship was between Murph and Coop. Yeah, like, if, and the, the ending doesn't really no it's, solidly back that. It up. just like it's 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 almost like it's like this. It's almost like a this flawless gymnastics performance. Then that last land, <laughs> just like you just kind of like doesn't quite stick the land. Don't quite stick the land. Yeah, it's kind of like hey, like if oh, I want judge gave I, it a six. I want I want Coop to be like Coop the injured, be like okay, so what happened after I gave what happened after I gave he never the asks about his son. Yeah, doesn't like, ask about his son. He's that just, just kind of dawned just like, on me. He yeah. never asks about his son. Or yeah, or like the yeah, he's just sort of like, okay, well, yeah, you're old, and I'm on a space station by Saturn. Like, I feel like, like, I, I would, I would have questions. I'd be, I'd want to know, like, what, how did, what happened, right? As opposed, well, to just it's like, implied that he does ask some of those questions just off screen. Yeah. Which is again. Well, he's there. He's there a very long time. Yeah, he's there, he's there for, for he's there, he's there for several weeks at least before yeah. he steals a ship and goes out after the other Doctor Brandt. Yeah. Uh, which is another weird thing. Like you're at this, you're like a hero of humanity at this juncture. Like you could, you're not buying a drink anywhere in the galaxy yeah. that humans have set foot. Yeah. If you go, I need to go and check up on the other Doctor Brandt who's setting up a space colony. 
the people of this space station are going to be like super duper. Let's set up an expedition. We'll send twenty people with yeah, you to we're help coming, set up. They're coming calling. with you. You don't need to steal a ship in the night. Here are here are forty <laughs> ships uh, named after I'm you. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna correct you on that. He's not a hero of humanity. In fact, they well, they go over their they go out of their way to tell you that he's not well, because no, Murph is. But yeah, I mean, they don't they, they don't yeah. even really know what he did because well, nobody nobody she says nobody believed me. He's like that. You oh, were my ghost, and and that and I and 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 that I got the formula for gravity from you. They just thought that she was a genius, so yeah. they have no idea what Cooper's done. Even so, I mean, it's it's clear he's got clout. Like they set him up in his old farmhouse. They know who he is. Yeah, sure, yeah. And he's come back from the dead, essentially, at this yeah. juncture. Yeah. So, and coupled with. With her clout and with what little clout he's clearly got at that space station, you think if he'd been like, hey, the other Dr. Brandt is out there setting up a space colony right now for humanity, they'd be like, they'd still be like, super duper, let's get together a team and we'll go help her out. Yeah. I don't think at the end of the day he needed to steal a ship <laughs> in the night with was, his robot. I was going to, I was going to note that. It- to go live with her by themselves and raise clones. Yeah. Well, this is like there. There's a lot of little things like that where then, and I don't like to uh, get all nitpicky it, it, about it about nitpicky. plot holes and stuff like that. But like the one thing that it, that really bothered me was uh, Matt Damon's reason for um, turning on everyone because it's it's it, at first it seems to make sense because Coop is has decided that. He's going to set everybody up on the planet and then he's going to leave and go back to Earth and be with Murph. And Matt Damon uh, doesn't want him to leave because he needs his ship because he needs to get onto another planet. Right? Because he, he knows his planet's garbage yeah. and he's got to get to another planet. And and at first I was like, that makes sense. And then another ship come down from space. So they have two ships. Actually, they have and, three. And they have three ships. So, like, why did he explode? I assume that he exploded his own cabin. I didn't understand that either. Well, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some explanations for you. Uh, because <laughs> like, I was is, following is the head, plot. Is this head cannon? No, I was following the plot. They had several <laughs> landing vessels, but the Endurance, which is the, the big cylindrical ship, is the long-distance hauler. What he was basically proposing, what Cooper was suppo- uh, going to do, uh, was proposing, is what I was going to try to say, uh, is he was going to help them get set up on the planet, then he was going to take Endurance back through the wormhole so that he could go home. And then presumably he'd send another team with Endurance. Matt Damon didn't want to stay on the on the Doom planet, though, because he knew it was doomed. So he was trying to stop that from happening. Okay, so, okay, I see. I see. That makes sense. Yeah, they needed to not stay on that planet. But Matt Damon was also kind of ashamed to admit that he had selfishly called for help. See, I and thought he not would... been willing to die like the hero he was supposed to be as the best of humanity. Dr. Man, the heroic best of humanity, yeah. who had convinced 11 other people to go to their deaths, was unwilling to do the same. Okay, I'm going to accept your explanation of this, but like I, I, I feel like the movie doesn't make that particularly clear. And I had a conversation with my wife Erin about this, and we were both fairly confused about it. Oh, that's not to mention the fact that like he uses a ship that's not unlike the the one they landed on the shit planet with. He uses one of those to get to Brand, so it's clearly also a long distance ship. 
So he doesn't need to take Endurance back. He just needs one of the tiny ships. Well, no. Uh, no. He... You need the tiny ship to connect to Endurance because the tiny ship yeah, pilots Endurance. It's like, it's like a shuttlecraft versus the Enterprise. The Endurance is the Enterprise. It's going to take you through the wormhole. The... But he takes, a, little he ship. takes a shuttlecraft. He takes a shuttlecraft at the end of the movie. He takes a tiny shuttlecraft into to the go go into the wormhole and go find Brand. So what's the difference? No, he takes the tiny shuttlecraft. He doesn't take the tiny shuttlecraft at the end of the. He takes a futuristic space fighter through the wormhole in the future. Okay, because it's been like seventy years and mankind is out in space and they've got fancy space rangers now. Okay, he doesn't take the same kind of ship. At all at the end of the movie. Yeah, they don't, they don't really kind of... Similar they, in size. They, they, they just show, yeah, they takes yeah, this but little... But it's, little... it's certainly implied to be much more advanced. Because, again, mankind now has mastered anti-gravity and is living sure. on space stations. Sure, so. yeah. And playing baseball vertically. And high-fiving when they break the skylight on a on a house that's above them. Yeah. I feel like we're not fixing this movie. We're just we're just spending we're, time explaining the plot to Greg. Oh, well no. <laughs> and to be fair, like this is stuff that I inferred, but maybe I was just reading it better. It still doesn't explain why Dr. Man is crazy I, is the other thing you need to remember. But why did he why did he destroy the his base? And what did he destroy? He booby-trapped the robot so that I assume that that's what what the curse uh, the, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, because like the other scientist is like f- working on the is, robot or whatever. Here's a question: Is there a way to do that? Part but when better? did he do that? Did he have it set to explode before he went under? He must to have hibernate in case, somebody, in case somebody came to and and that's, decided to activate. the that's robot. That's some real next level thinking. Yeah. Again, he's also crazy at that point. <laughs> yeah. Like he's he's legit loco bonkers cuckoo. I I actually I'm, I find I find that the whole the whole the whole Dr. Man, Matt Damon, that whole that whole part of the movie. I find that's, other than the very end, that's the part, it doesn't really fit, and I don't really like it there. And a reason, one of the reasons I don't like it, so besides all this, the stuff that's happening, which is like, okay, you kind of know what's happening, but not sure, kind of know what's happening. And yeah, like, when did he booby trap this robot? I find that that, his betrayal kind of happens really, really close to um, Professor Brandt, like on his deathbed admitting that like by the way there was never any plan a so i feel like the movie doesn't the movie and the characters don't get to spend any time on that because as soon as they learn that then they're then they're getting this other like matt damon double cross and so i kind of wonder whether whether that matt damon thing can be moved around or done did something different because i feel like i feel like that moment of having all the characters found out by the way this was all for nothing anyway there never like the earth is doomed and everyone back home is toast. Well, there's like, they spend a little bit of time on it, but not enough, but it's a double whammy though. Cause on the one hand it's, Oh, the reveal that there isn't a plan a. So everyone on earth has been essentially left to their death coupled with the, Oh, and the planet that we just risked everything to come to is actually a barren rock and worthless. Yeah. So we're kind of like, things are dire now. We're kind of double screwed. Yeah. And we need to figure out a way to, get to Dr. Edmund's planet, which yeah. we should have gone to in the first place. Thanks, Coop, yeah. for talking us out of that. Doops. But, I mean, fair enough. It yeah. was a 50-50 gamble, right? And he made the argument one way, and Brant made the argument the other way, and Coop won. So. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if I would change anything about about the Matt Damon uh, bit. I mean, outside, outside well, of the fact that I didn't that I uh, I didn't like necessarily how his betrayal 
played out necessarily. Um, I did, I did like a lot of what was going on with that character and his, um, his explanation of like why they needed to trick everyone into, into, uh, into working for plan a when plan a was not going to ever work yeah because because we're 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 essentially like we're essentially selfish and we can't care about people that we can't see taste or touch or whatever you know like so that that part was uh i thought that part was uh uh was really interesting and uh and his character his character more or less worked for me um i just didn't uh, i just didn't necessarily love how um, that one, his betrayal, uh, specifically played out, but I did like, uh, you know, when he stole the ship and, and the, the, probably one of the best parts of the movie is the, is the, uh, the space station when endurance kind of explodes and, and Matt Damon dies. And then you've got like the, mid speech. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Like he fills so much of the air with his grandiose speechifying, which is a wonderful character quirk for him. Like he is, he is bought into the idea that he is this great heroic explorer. Yeah. And it's destroying him that he's actually a coward. Yeah. And that fundamentally motivates so much of what he does there. And so much of why he's essentially betraying them to leave them to their deaths. Yeah. Yeah. So that he can go and discover the sweet planet and be the hero. Yeah. And that it, you're absolutely right. It works a hundred percent. Yeah. The, the real, the only real tragedy about it is like we don't get as as much time as we might want to with that particular character because he is so interesting, you know. Mm. Yeah, I think we. I I feel like we got just enough. Yeah, okay. I'm worried that if we had much more, that, and this is going to sound weird, he might have been more sympathetic. Yeah, you know, this might be an I have to, I have some notes first because we keep introducing things. That, that we we'd like we to change, like. and then we back we back ourselves <laughs> we, out of we, it. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to talk about something that I think actually can change, and sure. I, and that I might have a solution for because I I I feel like the the climax of the Cooper Murph story when uh, Cooper's in the library tesseract, and we keep cutting between uh, Cooper and Murph uh, in her old bedroom trying to put the pieces together of what her ghost was when she was a little kid. Mm -hmm. And my problem with that particular scene is that, uh, that Murph is, she doesn't really have anything to do visually aside from just sit there and think. Well, the tension rises because her brother might come back and beat them to death at any moment. Right. Um, And it's like, there's no, I, there's no eureka moment, right? Where she where she sees, touches, moves something that clues her into what may actually be happening, right? There's no moment where in Cooper's grief and frustration over his his current situation overpowers him to slam his body into the backside of the books from the Tesseract and then something falls in front of adult Murph, right? And 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 for her to be yeah. like, huh? Why is that happening? Like, even just something as simple as that. Yeah, she just all of a sudden just sits there and goes like, oh, wait. Yeah. Or, or if she never or if she never decoded if she never ever decoded the his message, right? If she 
when she was a kid because when she was a kid she decoded the the message in the books as stay you should stay but if she never decoded that and then she picks up her journal uh and she looks at like the you know because in her inner journal she had drawn out what the morse code message was or whatever uh and then she decodes it as an adult because she's smarter and understands most code now for some reason i don't know uh but she, you know if she she start she understands the message when she's an adult that it says stay or something like that um or or, or maybe the message is different um maybe it's more applicable applicable to what cooper's current situation is or whatever but it's something like that to to give the audience something yeah. to to glom onto uh and understand uh Murph's realization. And I think that would be that would be a lot more fun because that's that's that particular part of it feel reads pretty flat to me. I think that what that was actually missing was him realizing the situation and realizing what's going on because now he's on the inside of it. He needed to come to the conclusion that he needed to get across to Merv. Not just the vital information, where the NASA base was, and uh, the uh, information from the interior of the black hole that uh, Tarsus had uh, had observed. Um, but he also needs to impart that he's him. And that at some point in the history there, I think that's the point where you have, not the stay message, but a different message that she was never able to decipher until she was an adult. And that's the moment where she's like, it's dad. It's dad sending me a message. Yeah. And I don't, and I didn't know that before, but like, what, what's the final message? What's the last yeah. bit? Because if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, does she not, in, does she not say you were my ghost before she picks up the watch? Yeah. Yeah. The ghost, the, the, the watch, or the ghost, the watch is the last thing she grabs as she's leaving. And then, and then she realizes she, that the second yeah. hand is actually Morse code. Yeah. So yeah. I almost, I almost wonder like whether that should be the thing like that. She sees yeah. If she, she just picks up the watch yeah. and be like, why the fuck is the watch still moving? Yeah. Like this watch has been sitting here for decades. It should not be moving. Yeah. And then she knows that it's doing the thing. And that's when maybe she grabs, grabs her notebook and starts like, she's like, looks at ooh, ooh, big idea. Because part of the, the, part of the soundtrack of the movie is, is a clock, right? Yeah. Um, you hear it particularly in the scene in which the uh, the endurance is starting to spin out of control, like as that that when they're ramping up that tension, uh, there's a there's like a second hand that's yep. that's a part of the soundtrack. And it'd be really cool if that if that score continues, and then you get and, and at the moment that uh, that sort of maybe Murph is sort of given up or whatever, the 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 rest of the soundtrack drops out, and then you just hear the the flicking of the second hand. That would be a really cool, uh, yeah. just sort of like a moment yeah. of realization where she's just like, and then she looks and she's like, she sees this, she sees the watch in the second hand just clicking away. Yeah, and because it's her dad's watch, she can make the connection. That yeah, maybe it's dad, and he could have encoded his message. name into it. Yeah, um, I do like the the symbolism of the clock or of the watch and of the the ticking sound in the soundtrack because time does play. Yep. Such an important role in the course of the movie. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to add that as another little piece of... There, it's, it's also... something. It's all, yay. yay! It's also... And right on time as we're running up against <laughs> our own clock at the moment. Indeed. Time is a resource. 
good stuff, guys. High five. High five. Uh, let's get into some listener comments. Uh, you two can get on the note having. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll let you know what movie is coming on. You can get your notes right on the show. Uh, we asked you what is one thing you would change about Interstellar. Uh, Caleb says, uh, make Dr. Man's dialogue just a little less on the nose. Not completely subtle. It's still a Nolan film. Just dial it back a few notches. I thought I was fine. Yeah, I, Sorry. again, I kind of disagree. I, I think that he, him pontificating uh, was a great little character quirk for him. Yeah, I think, like it, he, it, he I think it made a, him like a really weird dude. And yeah. I think I enjoyed, I enjoyed listening to him. I don't know, just sort like of... Like philosophize. Yeah, and, and rationalize. Tried, but, and, and that's like, it's two things. Number one, he hasn't seen people in forever. Yep, and so he's, he's just be a little weird. liking talking to people again. Yep. Number two, this is a guy who clearly likes the sound of his own voice, and that's even kind of implied early on when he was the guy who convinced this twelve-man mission to go through the wormhole. Yeah, and number three, he is almost everything he says is ex- exactly what Greg said: rationalizing. Yeah. He's he's not convincing Cooper or uh, or anybody else about anything. He's trying to convince himself. Through that entire uh, part of the of the story, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, uh, Lucia from the uh, Alberta Podcast Network show Repodcasting says Matthew McConaughey there fixed it. So I feel like that was one As thing. In, yeah, we more Matthew that. McConaughey would fix it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure, why not? I say Matthew McConaughey plays all of the rules. There you go. Uh, Matt's- a one-man Matthew McConaughey <laughs> stage version all right, of all right, Interstellar. All right. uh, by the way, uh, so uh, on a completely different tangent, that's my change for the new Batman movie with Robert Pattinson. Is that Robert Pattinson plays both Batman and the Joker? There we go. You're welcome. Uh, Matt Stevens says, uh, nothing gets a fantastic movie. At J752 says, it should have ended with the ship breaking up with Michael Caine's voiceover. Do not go gentle into that good light. The whole thing showing Matthew crying into the light, Chastain looking out the space station at the stars, crying. So just to basically a downer ending where everyone dies. That's yeah. basically what you're proposing. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's a baller ending. It's a it would it's, it's <laughs> certainly an ambitious ending. <laughs> I'm not sure what the what the theme would be in that particular ending, but uh, that mankind is doomed and we should give up all hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a movie yeah. for our times. Um, our, good, our good friends at Flix X Raid said the bookcase ending was a thing was weird and kind of lost me, but the big change, Matthew McConaughey. There are way better actors for this role. I say name, well, zero, because I think Matthew McConaughey's fine. Yeah, I think we all agreed that he did a pretty good job in this film. Yeah. I mean, I suppose there could be an argument made that someone else could have played Coop, but Matthew McConaughey did really good. Yeah. And, I mean, Greg is the one who's going to suggest that we change the protagonist, right? And he's not. (laughs) So that tells you something. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Our other good friend, Cinematological, says uh, change. He's the one thing he would change is the script. Ah, that's a lot. Um, uh, Lori says, uh, TARS needs to be either a much bigger thing or cut it all together. It was too brief to be fascinating, but too much much of a plot excuse not to to hand uh, wavy exist. Do better, do better, writers, but don't change a damn thing. Note about the score. Yes, the score is great. Um, um. So either more tars or no tars. I think tars, again. I, I thought tars, tars was, was fine. fine. Yeah. It's <laughs> um. Uh, this is this. This enemy is echoed by uh, uh, Dave from uh, the Dave Berta podcast, part of the Alberta Podcast Network, who says more tars. So I mean, fine. <laughs> yep. Tars will get his own spinoff film. Apparently, the listeners have uh, misgivings about the levels of tars, yeah. and I don't think that we do. I think we we're all in agreement tars that. 
Game so there, there's game just of, enough tar. Get his own Game of Tars show or something. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe there needed to be more case. Yeah, yeah, there we go. If anything. Uh, Herman from uh, Modern Manhood, uh, part of the Alberta Podcast Network, says, I actually love this movie. It's underrated. It's not, not as good as Inception or Dark Knight, but I love the chutzpah it takes to make a black hole movie. Uh, the thing I would change is the hokey ending. Yeah. Is it? What about it as hokey, Herman? Yeah. Hit us up. Because I want to know. I'm not sure that it's, it doesn't people, feel hokey to me. I mean, like, people, I know that there were a lot of people who were turned off by the Tesseract and the timey-wimey sort of ending. Eh. And eh, it's it's a high-concept sci-fi movie. Yep. I mean, the other option was Aliens. Like, that was... It was going to go one of those two directions. Sure. And the fact that it wasn't Aliens is fine. Like, I think that's fine. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I typically don't like movie or, or plot devices where... The answer was love. I'm looking at you, Doctor Who, which is like half of your episodes. <laughs> but like this movie actually posits that that love is a is a scientific force, like a like a, a like it it transcends space and time. It's it's it, it might be something that is little understood and perhaps is bigger than we can imagine. And I and I kind of bought into that. I thought I thought that was sort of an interesting point of view for the movie and therefore the fact that the movie ends up being a love solves all didn't really read as uh, as hokey to me. Cuz it was kind of set up earlier on. Yeah. It, it wasn't an ass pull. It didn't come out of nowhere. That's right. And I mean, that was one of the gripes that Colin and I ultimately settled on a little while ago, was that because the movie makes a big deal about how it is the love between a father and a daughter that ultimately saves humanity, but then there's the payoff for that is super weak at the end. Yeah. And it should have been better. You could have done better, movie. Again, yeah. the Russian judge gives you a six. Yeah. Maybe that ending just needed more tars and less Matthew Mahoney. <laughs> Finally, Louise says it was definitely a winner for special effects. This will be a hard movie to fix. It was very thought provoking, and it is a pretty great movie. It was a hard movie to fix, and it was thought provoking. And at the end of the day, a good science fiction movie should make you think. I think we need more movies where time is a resource. I like Agreed. that. I like that part. Your move, Star Trek. Boom. Well, let's not invite Star Trek to use time travel anytime soon in another film. <laughs> okay. Um, be careful what we're wishing for there. I'll go back into the black hole and erase <laughs> that part. Uh, anyway, uh, thanks for listening to the show tonight, friends. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at I Have Some Oats. If you really like the show, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really helps us out. You can find our episodes on the CKWay radio app. Download it from the Apple App Store. Uh, be sure to check out all our brother and sister shows over, over at the Alberta Podcast Network, which is powered by ATB. We post new episodes every two weeks. Uh, so tune in from now when the next episode will be... The Secret Life of Pets. Another sci-fi epic in a world where there's talking dogs and cats. Can I also suggest the listeners tune in to our Flix X-Ray episode? Oh, we yes. were a big guest. Uh, all three of us were guests on their uh, on their show. And we were uh, watching Triple X, yeah. the classic James Bond pastiche <laughs> starring Lee <laughs> Diesel. Yeah, so that is in uh, Flix X-Ray's uh, podcast feeds right now. Go check it out. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, thanks for checking out this podcast. There's a million podcasts. We thank you for taking time with us. And, uh, yeah, we will see you next time. Keep watching the skies for black holes black holes for McConaughey <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Watch out for Matt Damon too. He's a sneaky, tricky little.